0: Oh, Doug Gottlieb show. Fox Sports Radio. Here here's what, what's what I find to be fascinating. Okay. What I find to be fascinating. Kenny Pickett has what uh an 8.5 inch hands. Now, how you measure that measure that is you measure from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your pinky finger. Okay. And and here's here's what <laughs> this is what happens in in our society in 2022. This is, on the micro, the issue on the macro. Hand size is not the sole determinant as to whether or not you can play football in the National Football League. Okay? GPA and SAT or ACT scores aren't the sole determinant to whether or not you you can perform in a college setting. Right? Your body fat, Your body mass index, your height, your weight, your wingspan, okay, your anything about your background. These things are not on the individual. The the, um, Wonderlick score, again, they're not, they don't solely determine whether or not you can make it or you will make it, but they are breadcrumbs, or they are a piece of the puzzle which you put together. Okay. And when when Kenny Pickett has the small hands that are so small, they would be the smallest of any starting quarterback in the National Football League. You have to at least consider, okay, well, that's a problem, right? I mean, look, Colin Kaepernick, of course, famously had small hands, wore gloves, but the size of his hands limited him in terms of the arm angles that he could throw for because you can't grip and control a football, right? So it, 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 this is, look, I made the mistake with Steph Curry when he was coming out. I looked at his body. I knew his age. And I thought to myself, like, look, it's two sets of jeans. He's getting more of his mom's size, his mom is much more petite. His dad was obviously an NBA player, much bigger than him. And so you wondered to yourself, okay, can a slightly built 6'2 guard who's a combo guard, you know, really played until until his junior year, played the, the two when he was at Davidson, can he compete as a point guard, as a lead guard in the NBA? Now, the NBA, since when he was traded until now, has changed and evolved. And he found a coach and a system which fit the fact that He's as good without the basketball as he is with the basketball. But it's at least, you got to at least be willing to consider it. Now, in many ways, your size can be a deterrent on some level if you're too big and you can't cover on the floor. Or your lack of size. You know, people, people want to know why Isaiah Thomas, for example, who just got picked up by Charlotte, scored 10 points in his debut. You know, wh- why is he out there? Well, because the way NBA defenses are played now, if you're 5 foot 9, 5 foot 10, it's really hard to survive out there cuz everyone switches everything. And in order for us to design a system which hides you and protects you, you got to be so good at the other end and so good at what you do on defense and he's just not. So circling back around to Kenny Pickett, like this is a I don't touch him in the first round. I don't actually even care. How good he is. Now, it it also helps the fact that he's seen as a borderline guy. He's seen as a guy whose value is uh, is inflated because there's a paucity of quarterbacks available potentially in the first round. But just because there's not a lot of guys available, it doesn't mean you take a guy who – whatever you think of the rest of his game, that is a limiting factor. But you'll get people that want to make, well, hand size doesn't, does it? Why would they measure for it if it didn't matter? Right? Like, I I got into this discussion with my my daughter who, you know, she's like, I'm a terrible test taker. I'm not going to do well in the ACT or the SAT. She's like, but the good news is some schools aren't using that as their guide. I was like, yeah, okay. But then they're using GPA. GPA. Well, you know, I had this teacher that didn't like, like, what What do you want him to use? I don't think the SAT and the ACT are the end all be all that clearly determine intelligence. But if you're of whatever level of intelligence, whatever level of education, if you if, if you do some test prep, if you get your rest, if you, you know, you do reasonably well, it doesn't have to be the same score as the complete brainiacs that go to all the cl- courses, that read all the books, that know how to do it. That And it doesn't. But it doesn't mean that it's no factor. It's like, well, your grades. Well, we shouldn't be judged by our grades. Like, okay, I understand. You don't want the end-all be-all to be about your grades. It should be about, did you understand the subject matter? And did you work as hard as you possibly could to get as good a grade as you possibly could get? But there has to be some sort of reward, doesn't it? For getting good grades, like admission to a a better school. So, uh, it, it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that Kenny Pickett will never play in the NFL. It doesn't mean that this will, uh, this is the end of his football career, but they wouldn't measure for hand size unless enough people thought it mattered. It's not like it's lower end or middle of the pack. It would be lower than smaller than anyone else in the NFL. And on some level, All of these little tests, it doesn't mean you have to make your decision based upon one thing or the other thing or the other thing. But if it helps you support your narrative for what your evaluation is, all the better. Kenny Pickett's eight and a half inch hands of the 663 measured is the smallest since uh, 1987. Excuse me, only nine had smaller hands than 8.5 inch. There's no quarterbacks in the NFL with that smaller hands. In the last five years, there have been no quarterbacks entered the NFL with smaller 8.5 inch hands or smaller. The last successful quarterback with smaller hands eight and a half was Mike Vick. So look, Mike Vick, I would guess that if he played in today's NFL, would be more effective. Because there's better design runs, the use of the RPO game, the way the game is officiated, all of that stuff. So again, it like and and Mike, the downfall of Mike Vick had nothing to do with his talent and frankly with his uh, uh, with his intelligence. It was by his own accounts, his work ethic. He had too many things going on off the field, and he was last guy in, first guy out. And by the time he locked in on being quarterback when he came out of jail, it, it was past his prime. He had gone too, too long without playing in the NFL. And he still got it back to a borderline MVP level. Like, there's a super freaky athlete. So it's not like you can't, can't compete in the NFL with small hands. You can wear gloves. You play in a team with a dome. But they measure it for a reason. It does have an effect on your play. It can be a limiting factor. And, and in this world of all or nothing, the truth, as I've told you on so many of these things, is right there in the middle. Right? It's right there in the middle. It does not mean he can't play quarterback in the NFL. Mike, fix the example. It does not mean that he it, – it has no effect. And it doesn't matter because it does affect the, the arm angles. It does affect the control of the football. It does affect whether or not if you're a cold-weather team, you're going to draft this guy. The truth is in the middle, and if you are already leaning towards, yeah, I don't see it as a first-rounder based upon talent, this ends up solidifying for it. Otherwise, if you're bought in, you're all in, you better know that's a potential limiting factor. You shouldn't be surprised if your quarterback has a fumbling problem or if he can't change arm angles and can't grip a football in multiple ways, especially in bad weather. Okay, so the Combine's taking place. We got Tom Telesco is going to join us. When's he going to join us? Third hour of the show? I think third hour of the show, the Chargers general manager will join us. Um, a lot going on with the Packers. Everybody's waiting. As I told you, the whole league's waiting on Aaron Rodgers. Here's Matt LaFleur on what the Packers are doing.
1: I always want to be respectful because I'm, I know it's a lot to take on. He's got a lot to think about. And certainly I, I'm making sure that I consistently communicate with him. Also want to be respectful of, of his time and the process that he has to go through.
0: Um, Okay. So look, I, you know, you're, you're, left. This is a hard one, right? When somebody else is making a decision and you kind of put your best foot forward, like this is a really hard one. You can kind of not necessarily ghost them, but give them space. You can constantly be somebody who's pitching them, pitching him, pitching them. You can just kind of go about your business in normal fashion. I, I, I think I, I mean, I'm guessing. I mean, first of all, Lafleur has to feel good about his relationship with Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers continues to point out how much he likes Matt Lafleur, and you know, it's a it's a hard one, right? It's like when you're with your spouse. How often do I have to say I love you for you to know that I love you? Like, do I have to say it every morning or every night before I go to bed? Right? Do I? Do do I? How does that? How exactly does that work? And I think the Packers just like you know, Aaron is one of the Aaron's a quirky dude. I'll just give him space and let him make it, make his make his call. I, I would say this: I don't think if, yeah, I, I just don't understand how Aaron Rodgers still actually has a decision to make. Either he wants to leave or he wants to stay. And by leaving, by the way, he's got he probably got to throw out the "I'll retire" or you know "trade me, I won't play." But it just. I don't actually think there's any sort of decision-making process to go through. Maybe I'm wrong, right? Wasn't that what he did during his 12-day cleanse? And during his time with the, with the, with the team before that? But I, I, I think LaFleur's approach is one of only two possible. Me, I'm more of the, hey, I just every day, hey, man, just want you to know, we want you here. That would be that would be my my way of recruiting, my way of not trying to pester. Just just want, you know, want you here. This this is we want you here. That's a powerful thing to say. We want you here. We want to take get back to where we belong. We're close. And with you, it's possible without you. It's not possible. We want you here. But it does feel like they're doing the. You know, we'll just give him some space, which is another way. You know, absence sometimes makes the heart go fonder. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. It's Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. All right, let's catch up with Tom Telesco. He's the general manager of the L.A. Chargers. Um, Every year... Like we like to ask these kind of grandiose, big questions, Tom. You know about, you know, free agency and draft pace or whatever. But every year is kind of unique into itself, and every franchise is unique to itself. Um, from you, for you personally, been in this game a long time, you know, over a quarter century, and now you've been with the Chargers for like a decade. How different is this year's off season to others?
1: Well, you talk about immediately that the change is, is, you know, we're finally out of COVID and we're really back to normal. Like just being here at the Combine Live once again is, is a great feeling. Um, but, you know, every off season is a little bit different just based on where your team is and what your circumstances are at that point. Um, and I know for this year, um, you know, we're going to have, I'm not sure how many draft picks yet, but it could be, you know, nine or 10 possibly we'll kind of see when, when the comp picks come out in March. So we'll have a good amount of draft picks available to us this year Uh, we've got more cap space available to us this year than we've had since since i've been here so the resources are there this off season um you know just attack it a different way and um which is good because i think we have a good football team right now we have a good base a good core obviously there's some things we need to improve on um to get over the hump get in the playoffs and make a run at a championship so um, but we're set up pretty well right now with where we are um, doing a lot of work right now, you know, kind of balancing agency and a draft at the same time. Um, but, uh, you know, we're excited to get moving this offseason with the amount of work that we can do.
0: You know, it's fascinating because obviously I think everyone, and you would agree, you got your quarterback, right? I mean, hardest position to figure out, you got. But how you got to that point is kind of fascinating, right? Because going into uh, three years ago in, in college football, most people thought Tua was the guy. Herbert um, Herbert was super talented and might have been a, a top prospect, came back for a year, had a great season, but for whatever reason, myriad of reasons, wasn't viewed as the top guy. Then you have Burrow, and Burrow that year uh, came from a guy who had one year starting at LSU to having arguably the best season we've ever seen from the quarterback position. Now that you don't really have to evaluate the quarterback position, at least for the top of this year's draft— is there a secret, is there something you've learned through the process that, uh, that you know now and maybe you learned through trial and error through all these years?
1: Well, I've learned a lot through trial and error. Um, I was told a long time ago um, by Bill Pullian, um, you know, scouting is an inexact science. It's more of an art. And, you know, there's subjective things we look at. There's objective things we look at. You try and blend the two together together. Um, But you're just not going to be right 100% of the time. You're not going to be right 75% of the time. So as we go through the process, try and really evaluate what the player can do because there are no perfect prospects. It doesn't matter if you're the first pick of the draft or not. There's no perfect prospects. Everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. You have to kind of add up both sides of the ledger and see if some of those weaknesses can be um, either improved on um, or maybe just compensated a lot by some of the strengths. And um, just realize that every player you take, you know, it's not going to be 100%. They're not going to be perfect. Um, but they got to be someone that you believe in, you believe they can improve. Um, but I have you worked, know, especially at the quarterback position, and you know, when we had Phillip Rivers and we're scouting all these quarterbacks, we knew at some point we're going to need a successor to Phillip. Um, but when you look at the college quarterbacks and you're comparing them to Philip, yeah, they all come up short. And I know we talked as a group, like, look, we can't just wait for the perfect quarterback to come by because he may never come by. Um, so eventually we're going to have to take somebody, but we're going to have to feel really good about that. And, uh, you know, where there's some areas in, in every position you have to give up a little bit something to gain something. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's just no perfect prospects. And if you look for the perfect player, you're going to come up short probably 100% of the time.
0: You know, there's uh, obviously you've you've said we need to protect our quarterback, right? We need to continue to... You drafted Rashawn last year, and that was, a, that was a hit, but there's five spots in that offensive line. You changed the center out this year. That seemed, to, that seemed to work, but there's still work to be done. Uh, the outsider says, hey, why don't you just go and spend free agent money and get an offensive line? But as you and I have discussed off-air, like, it's, <laughs> even with guys you know because they've played in the league, the free agency process is not a high hit rate. What, what's, the, what's the percentage? Again, you've done this for your entire professional life. What's the percentage of, of, for free agents, any free agents, that hit on a given year?
1: Well, to talk about if they played at the same level or better that they had with the team that they came from, it's, it's definitely less than 50%. It's just different than baseball. I mean, baseball, you know, a second baseman for the, for the Reds can go play second base for the Dodgers, and it's going to be the same thing. Um, football is just a lot different. Schemes are different. The players around you are different. Um, all loving guys have to rely on each other. So yeah, free agency is difficult. Um, and plus, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have under the cap. There still has to be a player there that you think fits you. you. You just can't randomly say like we'd like to add more to our offensive line, so we'll just go you know buy it. You know there has to be players there available. We got lucky last year um, that Corey Lindsley was available and that Matt Fowler was available for us. Uh, Matt Fowler did a tremendous job at left guard for us last year. Um, So we got lucky in a year that we needed to upgrade the offensive line, that there are two free agents we felt really good about. Now, there's been other years where there may be a position we would love to sign in free agency, but it just doesn't line up player-wise. There's not a player there that we feel like is um, either worth the value or worth the price or can make us better. So, um, you know, you can control the draft a little bit more. The pool is a little bit bigger than it is in free agency. Um, But a lot of times you have to get lucky that there's there's some players available at the position that you have a need that you're able to get.
0: Tom Telesco, our guest, he's the general manager of the LA Chargers. He joins us on the Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Um, Brandon Staley came on with us last year when you hired him, and he said unequivocally, without flinching, he, we were using the Green Bay Packers situation against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's like, "Look, I just, I would have, I would have gone for it. The numbers tell you to go for it." He is, he is more than a man of his word, if that's possible, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, What's that like to sit up high? A guy you hired is not only going for it, but, I mean, going for it in, in, in times in which most of us would cringe and grab our rosary beads. For you, what's that like?
1: Well, this is what we talked about through the interview process, and and, um, and if, if anything, like you can tell what our identity is, so that's not hard to see as you watch us play through this season. Um, I'm all for being aggressive. Um, I just think that's, that's how we're going to play. That's what our identity is going to be. Um, I think the team that we have, I think we can be more successful than not playing that way. Um, you just have to realize that you know, when you play that way, it's not going to work 100% of the time. It's just not. So, but those, those situations, they are well thought out. They're more thought out in advance going into the game. You know, there's a, there's a you know, really different model for every game you play, and then it could even change in-game. Um, but I just think it's helpful for a head coach um, to have some data to, to rely on in-game to help make those quick decisions, which he has to do in real time on the fly. Um, so I do think it, it just helps. And fully realize that it's not going to be a success rate of 100%. Um, but, you know, we're looking at it even in terms of either kicking a field goal or going for and fourth down. You could say that maybe you're giving up three points, but you could also flip it around and say, look, we're giving up four points by just settling for three points here on a field goal and not going for it, say on a fourth and two. Um, you know, it depends what the situation is, obviously, but um, but I just think you know, use being able to use the the data that we have, um, certainly in situational football, whether it's four minute, two minute, um, you know, obviously fourth down, two point conversions, and being able to use the clock and use timeouts. I think that's just all part of being more efficient with, with situational football, and that's the way we've gone, and uh, I trust Brandon with that.
0: Even deep in his own territory, you know, like your own, I don't know, 18-yard line in a must-win game, you're you're good with that?
1: You know, it's funny, the, the, that same week, I believe the Cardinals, I can't remember who they were playing, same situation that we had, they converted it, uh, nobody said a word. Obviously, we didn't convert ours, and it became a pretty big deal, so um look that that 's the way we wrote it during the season, and um you know when you hire a head coach, you trust them and uh I was all right it would have been great if we'd have converted that even if we don't end up scoring on that drive if we can convert that, hopefully move the ball for another ten fifteen yards if we do have to punt, you know we do turn the field a little bit more and make it a longer field for them so yeah, it was an aggressive move didn't quite work out, but there were a lot of other moves this, this past year that were just as aggressive that worked out for us so that's kind of way you have to look at it
0: you 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 could you look at that game, and now that we've they've all been played, and the Super Bowl was a was a good competitive football game, but that was as wild a game, your last game of the regular season, as wild a game as I can ever imagine. Plus, it goes to overtime. Plus, there was this: if they tie, they both go to the playoffs. Um, I don't believe for one second that anything changed with the Raiders. Call, from calling a timeout to not calling a timeout like they were still going to run the football still going to try and get the first down and if they didn't get it they were still going to try a long field goal right like do we have mm-hmm. now that we're several months removed from it do you get any sense that 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 the timeout changed anything
1: uh, i haven't given a lot of thought since that week but i know it after that game yeah i didn't have uh that to me that timeout really had nothing to do with anything it didn't change what they were going to do no matter what they may have said after the game. I know what they were talking about, but no, that didn't have anything to do with. It. They were going to run it again. It was more on us. You know, we had at least two, or at least three. Even, but I know two times that you know we need to play better defense and get a stop, even if it's for two or three yards. You know, you can't give up eight and ten yard runs in that situation. That hurt us more than anything else. I don't think the timeout had much to do with anything.
0: What What is that like to watch so many of these teams play in the playoffs? And the one thing synonymous with most of these teams are well, they got. A star quarterback. You have one. You guys are that close. So on one hand, people are saying, hey, the job you're doing is great because you have, you figured out the quarterback, you have the town." On the other hand, you came up one field goal short of playing in the playoffs. What's that emotionally like for you?
1: Uh, It's tough. I mean, it's grueling at that that last game because we were in in mid-December, we were playing for the division lead. Um, And then we just didn't finish the season well. Um, You know, we lost at Houston and, and ended up losing at Against the Raiders, um, lost and then lost that Kansas City game. So, um, yeah, I mean it's it's difficult, um, but you know at a certain point you have to flip the page to the next year. um, You know, learn from your mistakes and flip the page, and that's what we've done. We got to continue to build around our quarterback on offense. That's the plan this off season, and I got to get better on defense, and that that's the plan in the off season. And we just got to keep you keep going after this. But like you said, you know when you have the signal caller um, that you feel great about, which we do not only as a player, but as a leader for us, you know, everything else can kind of start falling into place. And um, that's, that's what we're working on right now. And, you know, we were close last year, but, you know, close doesn't get you a whole lot. You know, we got a punch through. We have to get in the playoffs. And we have to make a run in the playoffs and in the championship. So that's the goal of this off season. And we think we have some resources to get that done. We're going to keep working at it.
0: In the real world of the NFL, do posts on social media from players, from agents, from people close to players and agents, does that have any effect on the actual negotiations and decision-making process in the real world of the NFL?
1: Are you saying, does do the media have anything to do with player negotiations?
0: Not just media, but like now, there's there's a there is there's nothing. Sometimes it's leaked to the media, right? And the media reports things, which basically it's the agent or the player. Oftentimes now, you have the agent or even the player kind of speaking out or or doing something on social media, does that, does that affect your decision-making process one way or the other or in terms of contract no, negotiations? I, I,
1: yeah, I think it certainly wouldn't affect the decision-making process at all. Um, I guess depending on what's done, it may, it may affect how, how you you know attack things and how you're going to handle it. But no, it, the decision-making part, it would have nothing to do with it.
0: Last thing is this. You, you mentioned you have more salary cap space. Also, last year the cap went down. This year it's going to spike up. How does that change the math? Like, what? how does that change the process?
1: Well, our process remains the same every year, no matter how much space we may or may not have. So that doesn't change. Um, you know, I, I guess we'll kind of see when, when the when the bell rings and and it becomes official to start negotiating with players, um, you know, to see what, what the asking is and, and where they are, what their demands are. And, and a lot of it comes down to, It's supply and demand. I mean, if there's a player that multiple teams are interested in, that, you know, the price tag will go up and it should. Um, If there's a player that doesn't have as much demand and maybe, you know, we see something in that player that somebody else does and, you know, maybe you get it at a better price and you can use those numbers somewhere else. Um, You know, I'm all for players being able to get, to be paid what their value is. Um, But as a general manager, I always have to remember I only have so much money to work with. So every dollar that one player doesn't get is going to go to another player. So, we have to put the best team together we can. So, um, but our process as far as how we get ready for agency does not change. And then, you know, as you start working into it, we'll kind of see where it goes. It's, uh, you have to be really, really flexible in free agency. It, it moves fast, um, doesn't necessarily always go exactly how you would think. Um, so, you got to have plan A, B, C, and D and kind of work it from there. Um, but other than that, you know, our process will relatively stay the same. You now, the results may be different now that we have more money to spend and maybe more players than usual, but we'll kind of see how that works out.
0: Well, listen, uh, love catching up with you. I know it's a wild week in, uh, in Indy. Thanks so much for spending some time, and we'll check in with you when you get back to, to Southern California.
1: Anytime. Thanks for having me on, Doug. Take care. Fox Sports Radio has the best
0: sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Um. James Harden has now made his debut as a 76er in Philadelphia. Here's his early returns. Here's his early thoughts on playing for the Sixers.
1: Just exciting, man. I love the fans. Uh, just felt like home. So, I mean, the, the, just the love, the support, man, from, from looking around and just, you know, we love you, James. That, that right there, like, makes me go out there and play harder, and I just want to do whatever it takes to get the win. All
0: right. Um, well, look, Um. There's a. We just got into a topic at the end of last hour, and I know like one of the things that's unique about this show and this time spot is not all of you, normal listeners are, listen to us. You know, throughout the break and through the update and whatever. But also, we come in and out of some markets. So I went to the dentist today, but not for a cleaning. I I went. I got my teeth whitened. Which you do, like the perception of it is you go in there, they wave a magic wand and all of a sudden you got the pearly whites that look like uh, those veneers. You know, that's not how how it works. But it was a long procedure. So we start talking about the dentist. Okay. And one of the things that happens when you announce to people that you went to the dentist is, I mentioned, what's the worst part about going to the dentist is if they find out you have a cavity. Because if they find out you have a cavity, you just feel like a a schmo, don't you? You just you it it basically says to anybody who comes into contact at the dental office, this guy has bad hygiene. He doesn't brush his teeth, and of course, no one actually flosses enough. Right? Like flossing to dental hygienists is like blitzing to college football fans. You can't possibly do it enough. So I I I think the second worst part. All right. The second worst part of going to the dentist, you guys missed on. Do you want to know what it is? It's when you get home and you tell somebody you went to the dentist. And then you kind of leave them hanging. And all they want to know is, like, basically, did you have a cavity or not? Because if you have a cavity and they don't have cavities, they're absolutely going to tell you about it. If you have a cavity, they have a cavity, they try and act like I've been there before. But really what they're poaching for is very sensitive information. Because if you say, yeah, actually, I, I had a cavity. Again, it's like telling everybody, like, I have bad dental hygiene. I don't brush my teeth. Knowing that's not the case, if you didn't brush your teeth, your dog was, your breath would smell like your dog's. Right? <laughs> my kids are always like, man, my dog's breath smells. They don't brush your teeth. What do you think it's going to smell? They eat dog food. You eat dog food, and you don't brush your teeth, and you got slobber in and out of your mouth where it's going to be moist in there. Like, you're going, your breath's going to stink. Duh. I, so the shaming that comes with it is really a fascinating part that has nothing to do with the actual. I think James Harden, it's not the shaming, it's, I'm sure, since Oklahoma City, he's wanted to play in from a fan base that feels like every game matters a little bit more. Philadelphia is that way. Brooklyn was not that way. Houston was not that way. Philly is that way, and even more so than Oklahoma City, whether or not OKC showed up more early in his career, that, that, that's appeared to be obvious. But in Philadelphia, they really, 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 really care. They care too much. And during the honeymoon, they're just so happy to not only have another guy out there with Joel Embiid, but they're also willing, you know, willing to overlook his weaknesses or his lack of defense or his over over dribbling. But, you know, at some point, just like people are going to ask you if you got a t- if you had a cavity when you went to the dentist, it's because they care more. They care more in Philadelphia. And eventually those bad games are made to be more pronounced right now is the honeymoon. Right now is the honeymoon phase. they're not replacing a guy for a guy. First, his skill set is complete opposite of Ben Simmons, but the more important piece to the actual puzzle is Ben Simmons didn't play this year. So without any question, they're going to be better off because you're not replacing Ben Simmons with James Harden. You're replacing uh, Seth Curry and you're replacing, who's the big guy they they traded away as well. I mean, you're replacing him with a superstar. Who's in shape now? So regular season has never been a problem for James Harden, Andre Drummond, right? You're placing him with Andre Drummond, who's just a bit player now, and Seth Curry, who's a great shooter, with an elite, all-world offensive player in a James Harden. Of course, it's going to look better. Of course, it is. Is he ultimately better than Ben Simmons? Is he a better fit? If when they have that's not actually what Philadelphia fans are seeing right now. Right now, they're just seeing James Harden in and Ben Simmons wasn't even playing. Wasn't even playing. Real credit card questions require real people, someone who understands your issues and works with you to resolve them. That's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Yeah, Jay Stu.
1: Doug, can we... uh John, could we re- replay that the sound and point something out here? Just exciting, man. The love the fans uh, just it felt like home. So, I mean, the, the, just the love, the support, man, from, from looking around and just, you know, we love you, James. That, that right there, like, makes me go out there and play harder, and I just want to do whatever it takes to get the win. Uh, Doug, have we normalized this? Have we normalized athletes? just admitting to our face that they try harder some nights and not others? Like, if you're a Nets fan or even a Rockets fan or whatever, aren't you listening to that being like, huh, you try hard when fans uh, praise you? Like, I I know that athletes for decades have done it and they've thought it. I just don't remember athletes just admitting these things. Like, yeah, I'm going to play hard because these guys love me. Uh, Yeah, I do,
0: I do think we've normalized it. I absolutely do. And we've we've somehow made it okay. You know, it's we used to get really upset with guys load managing. And now, for the most part, we're kind of okay with it. You know, I mean, Ben Simmons is not ready to play. What, what was he doing all year? What was he doing? But n- no one goes after Ben Simmons. Well, you know, mental health and shouldn't play in Philadelphia. Like, if you don't want to play in Philadelphia, that's fine. He can't get out there and play now? He can't play his way into shape. Like, what was he doing all year? What, what, what exactly was he doing? But just like the I play hard when the fans show up and care, and, you know, now they show up and care more, and I care more, because I don't want out of my current home. The same is true for the normalization of the fact that Ben Simmons is not ready to play. What? What were you doing this entire time? What were you doing? He's still like uh, weeks out,
1: according to some report. I yeah,
0: think. what was he doing? Like, like, okay, you don't want to play. They didn't want you to play. Fine. You're you, even if take away those three hours of the day for half of the last four months. The other twenty one hours, you weren't working. I don't know. Yes, uh, uh, Ramos. You talked about. Um, you know, going to, you know, playing in front of Philadelphia might be a more, you know, interesting for him because they care about it a lot more. Do you think certain players, maybe like a James Harden, maybe their career would be different had they been starting with like a, like let's say he started in Philadelphia. Do you think he'd still be there? Like because he's moved around to, you know, Brooklyn and OKC Houston, now he's in Philly saying, hey, you know, these guys care. And you mentioned that again, like I said earlier, If a lot of these players, Kevin Durant, if they had started, like, in New York or started in some other city that's much more Philadelphia, do you think they'd still be there? Do you think they'd also be moving around as much as they had so far? Like, Steph Curry is still in Golden State, obviously, right? He likes it there. That's where he is. I don't see him going anywhere else. Would these guys have moved around so much, you think, if they had started someplace else besides where they did? Um... Impossible question to answer. Okay, I know it's impossible. But no, your no, thoughts? I, I, no, I'm. 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 It's an interesting question. Um, I mean, look. Remember, he started off in Oklahoma City, and he started off as kind of like their sixth man and their fourth quarter point guard. I think he started off in a good setting, and then when he went out on his own, he went to a place in Houston. They built the whole thing around him, and they consistently gave him another guy to work with. So to answer your question, like. One obviously, and I, th- I know you know this. It's really hard. Secondly, are we doing Philadelphia then, or Philadelphia now in terms of starting your career? Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if he would have, if he would have shut down because of those those fans are hard. It's, it's not a like. they Philadelphia is a city that they, they want. They, they're, they. You know, it's like. Uh, they're a little brother city. It's a big time glorious city. It's not New York. And look, New York hasn't had any success in basketball either. But for whatever reason, New York's a bigger thing than Philadelphia is. And that pisses people in Philadelphia off. And, you know, they went through this entire process of being bad. Now they're good, but they're not winning a championship. And that pisses people off, right? They just get mad. So I, but I don't know how, how. Usually, the one thing about Philadelphia, and like most of these places, if you'll know, if you just stay and say all the nice things about how great Philadelphia is, you become one of their own, they usually embrace you. Usually. They, they They do get to a point, and you get to a point where there's a breaking point. That's what happens with Ben Simmons. And I don't think he said anything negative about the fans. It was just he wouldn't shoot, and they couldn't take the fact that he wouldn't shoot. Uh, I don't know how it would have worked out with Harden had he been there initially. That's an, It's a very interesting question. doesn't mean you have to – I know you're not saying I need an exact answer because no one has it, but I'm not sure that we could recreate – like again, is it Philadelphia then or Philadelphia now? Um, how is it different from Oklahoma City? Although in Oklahoma City, everybody was into it. They were just very nice about it. They were just so happy to have an NBA team back then, so happy to have these young guys uh and and Houston I mean Houston both helped him and hurt him they gave him the keys they spread out the court they let him do what he wanted and he's an unbelievably talented offensive player but he tried to do too much he overdribbled he became overly reliant on the officials and he didn't play any defense and they weren't demanding of it